2: Welcome back to Sports Talk here on the Big 870. Mike, to tell you along with Charlie Long, uh, Bobby Aber, Steve Geller, taking a little bit of family time off. So Charlie and I will roll you till 7 o'clock tonight. And there will be Thursday night football. Cleveland Browns playing the New York Jets right here on the Big 870 WWL and also free on the Odyssey app. WWL wants to have wants you to have the ultimate game day experience when the saints take on atlanta in the final home game of the regular season score two tickets to the saints falcons rematch plus a pair of vip tailgate passes from bullseye event groups open bar with premium liquor all you can eat buffet from celebrity chef aaron may does a fantastic job also all overlooking champion square winning is easy all you got to do is go to www.com slash contest and enter for your chance to win. Right here from Saints Radio, WWL. Charlie, I'm looking up and I see the Pop Tarts bowl. Man, uh, I don't know if you saw the, 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 the trophy. The trophy. Yeah, I did. Uh, okay, inside the football with the trophy, they got like the little open ends like you would have in a toaster. Man, I would want something like that uh, for my game room. Man, well, that, that looked uh,
0: getchy to me. Could you imagine if they had like some kind of mechanism that would? Would go up and down like you could actually put pop tarts in a bowl trophy. I mean, they they have it sticking out, but it's not like it's you know, of course, a toaster. It's just
2: man, yeah, because you know, stylized stylized. you know, the first thing that's gonna happen, When they gonna hand that trophy off. Uh, somebody gonna put them two uh, toast them
0: pop ups. There's there. a bowl for everything, like, yeah, like man. we're choking with some of our textures on the, the Oakland Art Jewelers talk. Oh, this line. one, a would all be for. I'm gonna yeah. let you read that one. <laughs> so someone <laughs> someone had mentioned uh, specifically, like I was talking about the Duke's Mayo Bowl and like watching that yesterday was really weird because the the I guess the broadcasters were... Tasting different types of mayo with like French and they pay like me, I would do it, but I, I'm, I'm, sure I'm not doing it. the bat, but but someone mentioned like a Jose Cuervo bowl <laughs> would, would be. Really wrong well, I know who like would like that bowl. sponsorship. <laughs> I, I think it'd be funny, but you know, you think of specifically the Duke's Mayo Bowl, they get a mayo bath after you know the game. Could you imagine getting a tequila bath after a post game? <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I know one of them would volunteer for that yeah, one. Real fans yeah. here. Yeah. Um, Charlie's swinging over to the Pelicans, and we'll talk a lot more about it with Chuck Dobson when he comes on. In our six o'clock car, but uh, Jordan Hawkins getting sent down. Mm-hmm. Uh, your,
0: your thoughts on that, Jordan? Uh, you know, man, he can shoot the ball now. Uh, I was aggravated, um, but at the same time, he's not getting minutes. N- no, I, and and that's on the the coaching staff, Mike, because I know that. You know, there are times where people will say like his plus minus isn't good. He doesn't play great defense. He's a little bit undersized for That, a that part's true, <laughs> but but like when you're struggling offensively, like the Pelicans do in the clutch, and I mean there are stats about it that I can bring up. I and mean, Christian Clark had a great one about you know I texted my buddy recently, and I'll get back to the Jordan Hawkins stuff uh, in in a, just a second here. But after their loss to the the Grizzlies where they blew a thirteen point fourth quarter lead, you're just thinking not again, not again. And I put it out on my Twitter page. It's just like. This Pelicans team just needs to learn how to win. Like it, it seems simple, it really does. But at the same time, it's it's a big thing for this team because when it gets down to cr- crunch time, the Pelicans struggle. I, there's no other way to really get around it. Like they're one of the worst teams in the NFL. You gotta win games like that. But you they gotta haven't. find a way, and they have not. They're zero and six in games decided by three or fewer points. That's not a that's not a good sign, Mike. I mean, every time it gets down to crunch time, as Pelicans fans, I I'm, I know that I'm not the only one just like this. I'm just thinking, oh goodness, what's going to happen? How are we going to blow this? I shouldn't be feeling that way, uh, but theres I'm still searching for the stat here. Um, specifically the Pelicans in the crunch time, Crunch time, meaning you know, final five minutes of the game within five points, uh, they're just better than two of the worst teams in the NBA, and that's Washington and Detroit at averaging 93.8 points per 100 possessions. Uh, now, if you look at Detroit and Washington, And once again, there's a reason why these are two of the worst teams in the NBA. I don't think they've really gotten in many crunch time scenarios. Detroit is 30th at 63.2 and Washington's uh, 29th at 67.1. Yeah, Charlie, they ain't getting in a lot of crunch situations. So the gap between 29 and 28 is pretty large. But when you're in that number, so to speak, with the worst teams in the NBA, there's something to be said about you you just don't know how to win close games. And the Pelicans haven't done that this year. So as you said, we're going to talk to Chris Dodson later on in the show about it. Uh, but that's definitely one of my big questions is how can they improve. Going back to Jordan Hawkins, he hasn't been getting minutes. So sending him down to the G League, when I first saw it, I was really aggravated because it's just like, why can't we give this guy a shot? We're like a month away, maybe like a month and a half removed from Jordan Hawkins being in the top five of the Rookie of the Year award conversation. And, w- and what's happened in the last three weeks then? He, ain't getting he hasn't a chance played. to play. He hasn't played. So the Pelicans are fully healthy, and there is an argument to be made about what's whose spot does he take? But when you have a guy that's an elite shooter and has proven that he's an, he can be an elite shooter, even as a rookie, you have to figure out ways to get him on the floor. I don't care if you're taking away from Jose Alvarado's minutes, from Najee Marshall's minutes. you got to figure out how to get him minutes, and he just hasn't been getting them. So specifically in crunch time, Mike, when you're seeing the Pelicans' offense just operate this iso ball that just doesn't work, and, and I mean you see Trey Murphy on the floor, but he's always standing in the corner waiting for someone to potentially give him the ball, and then Brandon Ingram and, and Zion and even CJ are just dribbling the air out of the, uh, out of the basketball. I mean it's just do, it's not working. So maybe get Jordan Hawkins some late minutes and see if he can potentially provide some space for the other players. I, and, but they're not giving him any. They're not giving. It's not just late minutes that he's not getting. He's any not minutes. Any minutes. <laughs> Now, with the Pelicans healthy, which they are right now, you'd expect, you know, maybe those minutes to be limited, so to speak, but he's not seeing the floor. He's a former he's a lottery pick, Mike. He's the fourteenth overall pick from this past year. So the reason I'm not entirely frustrated with it like I was when I initially saw it, is because he will get minutes with the G League squadron which is good for him to actually see time on the floor because he's not seeing it with the Pelicans right now. But when he gets called back up, Mike, Willie Green and his staff have to figure out how to get this guy on the floor because I'm so tired of seeing the Pelicans just flounder every single time they get within a couple points maybe even less than 10 points at the end of a fourth quarter when the, the offense isn't doing anything and you have an elite shooter just sitting on the bench. I just don't
2: understand it. Uh, I don't get it either. Uh, this is a reports coming uh, from the ReliaQuest Bowl, but Josh Williams, the running back, has not made up his mind yet on if he's going to enter the NFL draft or come back for a sixth season, but he's leaning toward coming back for a sixth season. He says, it's looking like I'm... Most likely going to come back to LSU next year. Interesting. And listen, I've gotten, I would say, probably four phone calls over the last two weeks about Josh Williams from scouts that are double-checking SEC players. Okay. And they they were interested about Josh. And uh, so, that's man, that's a little twist there because I think most people thought Josh would probably come out. Uh, because I think he can play at the NFL level. He'll be a backup in the NFL, but man, he—I think he's a solid backup player in the National Football League. But it looks as though it is trending right now with Josh, and he's—it's in quotes. It's looking like I'm most likely going to come back to LSU next year. Now, all I know is they got a stud back there in the at halfback and Caleb Jackson. Oh yeah, he's going and to be great. so take. Some of the load off of Garrett Nussmeyer, give him the ball twenty times. Uh, that 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 would be me. You got to take uh, a little bit of the pressure off of Garrett, not for him to be hitting every pass. You got to run the football against Wisconsin.
0: Real quick, Mike, before we get to Ed, I want to get back to the Pelicans because we got a couple of texts coming in. Someone made a really good point from let's see, ninety five fifty eight. Said they look like uh, sh- shooting free throws a lot better than sixty eight percent as a team, or they'll lose another close game. I agree, great there. point. Free throw shooting, and then also defensive rebounding when it matters most, like second chance points. Yes, yes, specifically in the fourth quarter against Memphis. That's how they. I mean, they got hot because they kept getting second chance opportunities, and the Pelicans kept them in it because they missed so many free throws. They missed double digit free throws. You're a professional team; it's free for a reason. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Bobby's deal. Come on. They give it to you. It's yes, free. Exactly.
0: Uh, but uh, man, it's, the Pelicans are frustrating. Like you see the vision, um, but they haven't you see learned. the talent. You, yeah. You see the vision. You see the talent. Uh, they've blown, I believe now nine. I want to say double digit leads in this this season. There are 17 and 14 team and nine of those losses have come and blown leads. Yeah, It's, it's not it's not good. And I mean, we got another text coming in from, let's see, 4580 saying the Pelicans are suffering for a lack of an alpha dog. Zion is not it. That's another really good point. I mean, I hate to say but it, he's but never been that guy. When it comes to close scenarios, I mean, you saw what John Morant did last week against no, the Pelicans. John sort of took over. John ja, ja did not pass the ball for the final three and a half Man, minutes. And I ain't and giving he, nobody the but ball. But he kept getting to his spot, and that was on Willie for not Willie Green for not adjusting and, and letting somebody else beat. Putting me. multiple people right. on John Morant instead, he kept Herb Jones there. Herb Jones, first team All NBA defender. But he, Herb, John Morant, is one of the few people that he cannot stay in front of. And when Ja was had his mind set that he was going to win that game, he went out and won it. You haven't seen Zion do that for the Pelicans since last year, maybe against the Timberwolves. You remember that game where he scored like the final 18 points? But it's been like a game or maybe a second.
2: It's not it's a stretch. Consistent, no. It's not consistent at right. all. Well, you see Morant do that is more than one time. It's numerous times he sort of wants to take
0: over. Uh, A basketball game you want to see Zion do that maybe even like ask Brandon to do it Ingram but it's it's like they don't know who needs to be taking these shots in the clutch and that's that's a big problem Mike (laughs) because as I read that stat from Christian Clark once again they're third worst in clutch time only in front of Detroit and Washington so that's that's just not a good sign
2: We'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870. And Eddie Gross from Odyssey Sports and uh, BetQL Daily will be on with us to talk a little bit about uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday games right here on the Big 870 WWL.
3: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
2: We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike Detail along with Charlie Long. We're going to go to our Oakland Heart Jewelers talk and text line. And on our Oakland Heart Julius Talk and Text Line is the host of BetQL Daily and Odyssey Sports betting insider, Eddie Gross. Insider calls are presented by BetMGM. Go check out all of the latest lines on the BetMGM app. Also, be sure to check out the BetQL Daily Podcast for more of Ed's analysis. Just search BetQL wherever you find your podcast. Ed, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon, partner. How you doing? Charlie and I are watching the Pop-Tarts Bowl here. Um, <laughs> and, and listen, the trophy's <laughs> Uh It really is. Uh, uh, you know, with the two holes it's in cool, it, and, and you know you know what's going to happen. They're going to put the Pop-Tarts in and hand it to them, whatever, but... Uh, One bowl game that, man, I really am looking forward to watching later tonight, Arizona-Oklahoma. It was there a hotter team? Uh, Oregon and Washington, they they were sort of in the class by themselves uh, in the Pac-12. But Arizona was a team you didn't want to play late in the season. Mm -hmm. They caught a fire and they really looked good. Oh,
1: they absolutely did, no doubt about it. You look at just, say, their passing statistics, uh, EPA per pass, they were top 20 in America. We weren't talking about them enough. And this was despite having not great field position all year long. Special teams in some ways kind of let them down, and they were still able to have a really, really dynamic passing attack. And they had no problem you know, running the football as well. I wouldn't necessarily call it complimentary in sort of the truest sense, But they were also really, really successful in those money downs third and fourth. No doubt about that. Like, no matter what the distance was, you still felt pretty comfortable about Arizona. And so as far as this game is concerned, you know, Oklahoma, you know, they have different things that they're dealing with, their own unique issues. Whereas I wonder if this game perhaps matters a little bit more to Arizona in some way. Like, I'm always apprehensive to say something like that. Uh, The the spread kind of reflects that idea that Arizona's two and a half points uh, as far as the favorite goes. Uh, maybe a slightly longer travel out to San Antonio for the Alamo Bowl. But I would have no problem backing the Cats here. Arizona is going to be a force next year, no doubt about it.
2: Uh, one game also to uh, the Cotton Bowl, Missouri-Ohio mm-hmm. State. Now, just on paper, you say, man, Ohio State, they loaded. But they got a lot of people that's not playing in that bowl game, the and they got hit right. with the transfer portal really big. Man, this matters to Missouri. It really does. And uh, I I know how they feel about it. Your thoughts on Missouri-Ohio State because Missouri was also a team that really played well uh, throughout the season. Now, they didn't play well against LSU. Jaden Daniels sort of settled the score with them uh, because they didn't had somebody else other than Daniels. Missouri wins that game. Daniels pulled that game out for LSU. But your thoughts on Missouri-Ohio State uh, where – I wouldn't be surprised here.
0: Missouri comes up with the outright win. And Ed, I, I've seen a lot of money kind of coming on Ohio State because I think the line was around one point, uh, Ohio State favored by one a couple days ago. But always going to
2: have heavy yeah. money, and now uh, it's moved uh, up to well, three, three and a and
0: half. half. And we've talked about the three to three and a half line. Is it's a big jump for sure, but going from one to three and a half in just a couple days, a lot of money's coming on Ohio State. But yeah, I'm just kind of picking back off of Mike. Get your thoughts on that game?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating because you're already going through that key number, which is important. And if you kind of close your eyes and think, okay, maybe it's, you know, answering a question with a question here. But if you had to debate who the third best team in the SEC was this season, you look at rankings like Missouri would make a whole lot of sense, right? Like Alabama, Georgia, depending upon how, how much you emphasize that championship game Missouri might be number three LSU Ole Miss also have great arguments to be number three but let's say it's Mizzou for this argument they're going up against the second best team in the Big Ten by that metric alone that approach alone you'd back the Tigers right in terms of overall team strength who they faced all of that good stuff what they had to do to get the record they did all of those things like it's hard not to back Mizzou if you're using that kind of logic and That's probably how I'm going to look at it. Like, I think there's still a lot of question marks as far as who exactly is going to play for Ohio state. Yet at the same time, I think a lot of folks may be looking more at say the brand name and yes, Ohio state is a much better brand name, but Missouri absolutely can keep up with this one. And it's this argument that we have with college football, you know, in terms of betting in general, is that if you like the underdog, oftentimes you might as well go after the money line because these numbers just aren't nearly as sharp as they are in the NFL. And at plus 150, I think there is some real value backing the Tigers here.
2: Your thoughts on a uh, pass at every day coming to work? Man, that's a big sign. Hook them horns. Uh-huh. Okay. Texas, Washington, I think certainly th- this looks like a shootout-type game to me. Who's going to have the ball last is going to end up winning it. I give the quarterback advantage certainly to Pinnocks. Um I've watched him. That that dude can flat-out play. But Texas' defense, haven't they been the story this year? Because I think coming into the season, it looked as though that was the question mark, that they could put up points. They were going to be explosive on offense. Now, all of a sudden, that front seven is pretty solid for the Longhorns. Can they get consistent pressure on Michael Penix? and can they cover those NFL receivers?
1: I wonder in terms of the coaching situation, if you're looking at just, say, who has the plus, the best play designers, who's going to be prepared for a situation like this, I do wonder if, say, we're giving Sark a little too much credit. And look, he is brilliant. Don't get me wrong. He absolutely is. But if you've got a stout front seven like Texas has, the short passing game and the quick passing game may be the ultimate nullifier, right? Like at some point, if Penix is able to maintain his rhythm, get the ball out of his hands in less than two and a half seconds from snap to pass, then sometimes that can nullify things. And sometimes those yard after catch plays, they can be more dangerous and can get through a stout front seven. And I wonder if Washington with all this time to prepare understands this coming in It's funny, you have such a high total in this game. I don't necessarily love going over, even though I have the utmost respect for both offenses. This is something where I think both teams have to understand that, look, you can't necessarily empty the bag in a game like this because you are facing even stiffer competition if you win this football game going up against Alabama or Michigan. So in that sense, I'm not expecting a ton of creativity from either offense. I do think both defenses can actually keep this a relatively medium-score kind of a game, like a 28-25-something of that that ilk. So I think that Texas wins this game, but I wouldn't be surprised if Washington keeps it relatively close. I do think Michael Penix Jr. has the necessary tools to at least keep this interesting and be able to
2: take care of whatever's thrown his direction. And they got a damn good running game. Man, that that young yeah, man from real. Mississippi. Uh, people say, "Man, how you got away from Mississippi?" He goes, uh, Washington. "Washington." What, man? That he is a big thumple. He really yeah. is impressive,
0: Charlie. Yeah. So, looking at the other College Football Playoff semifinal game between Alabama and Michigan, I think there was a stat after Bama beat Georgia, like Nick Saban's career against number one teams in the in the poll is like. Nine and one, or something ridiculous like that. Now he's going up against yeah. another number no, number one team with a month to prepare in Michigan. Uh, Michigan opens as two point favorites. This is one line that I've seen consistently. Like it hasn't moved in either direction, but at the same time, there is that that kind of uh buffer that you get with you know looking at what he d- has done in his career against teams right number one overall. And then Michigan also has kind of struggled in their m- m- kind of last, I guess, ten bowl games. I think they've lost around seven straight. Um, And you saw what happened Mm -hmm. last year against TCU.
2: Because you know that's fresh in your mind. Oh, absolutely. That TCU
0: beat them. And that they haven't played well in bowl games. So Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup?
1: It's fascinating, right? Like, I'm sure you are dealing with the same dynamic I am, where I'm talking to just a ton of people, whether it's on BetQL Daily or Casually or whatever it is, and it's like, yeah, I believe in Alabama. Alabama can win this game. But the line's not moving. Like, these are betters. (laughs) These are sharp people. These are smart people. And I'm I'm especially confident, you know, being an SEC country, you're talking to a bunch of Alabama backers, and yet the line is exactly where it is. Like, I know it inched a little closer in Alabama's direction, like at the very beginning from like two and a half to one and a half, but it has stayed put ever since. Maybe once we get closer to kickoff, more money comes in. I wouldn't be surprised if it finally goes in Alabama's direction, so act now while supplies last if you're betting on this game. But still, though, Alabama's run defense is really, really good. It's not the best Nick Saban's ever had, but it's more than okay in a game like this. And to me, in terms of evaluating what J.J. McCarthy, quarterback for Michigan, can do here, I think this is a question about sample size more than anything else. We haven't seen him have to take over and win a football game. So can he do it if he's trailing? Can he do it when, say, the rushing attack just isn't there and it's up to him to make plays? I don't know that, and I would venture to say no just because, we, you know, Michigan's passing attack has always left a little something to be desired. It's always been about smash-mouth football and being out physical in that conference, but then when they face someone their own size, it doesn't exactly work out. Meanwhile, Jalen Milroe is a unique challenge that Michigan's defense, I'm not sure, has really faced. I expect him to continue to improve, and I think Alabama does win this game.
2: I, I agree with you, Ed. The other thing, too, is how well will Michigan's tackles be able to block Dallas Turner Turner and Braswell, Braswell. Chris coming off the edge. Uh, Mm -hmm. LSU's offensive line was pretty good. Man, all I know is those cats, they 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 were really coming up the field. Now, what kind of negated a little bit of that was Jaden takeoff running with it. Okay, we're not going to see that from J.J. McCarthy. He might do a little bit of it, but he ain't going to run the ball like what Daniels did.
1: No, no, not at all. And you wouldn't want him to do that anyway. I mean, that's that's kind of the beauty of playing in this particular situation is there has to be some quarterback preservation because you have one more game to play. Great to win this one. But then you have another one after that. So you do have to be a little careful as far as your design runs and scrambles.
2: Uh, Your thoughts on... um Saints Bucks. I'm I'm surprised this line is two and a half. I I thought it would be more. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Really, I really thought it it would be more three and a half or four at this stage. What's at stake here for the Bucks? The Saints haven't necessarily really played well. uh, You know Mm -hmm. when they've went up in competition and how well Baker's played. And the one factor is Mike Evans and. Marshawn Lattimore had always done a fantastic job, I guess the best term to use it, kind of putting him in the box. He didn't have a lot yeah. of yardage and catches, or if he caught anything. Now, Lattimore's not playing in this game. So now you have the Evans full effect with Baker, and you can see in critical spots, that's where Baker's going with it. Your thoughts on Saints-Bucks?
1: And I will be curious, too, if, say, the Saints resort to more zone coverage than, say, they have in previous meetings. Maybe that's sort of the band-aid is to sort of confuse Baker Mayfield a little bit. I am curious, because my model actually says to back the Saints here, I like this more as a teaser leg than anything else because I do think the Saints can at least keep this game close to within one possession. The question is, what do you pair it with? Yeah. Probably Browns minus one and a half for tonight's game might be the best bet. I think those are the only two teasable games to me. But I also believe that this game can be uh, you know, relatively close, and I'd be comfortable backing Saints plus eight and a half state in that regard. Uh, first off, the model thinks that this is, should be more of a one-point game, half-point game, and I was kind of surprised to see that result. Yet at the same time, I look at this and I go, OK, when you're looking at, say, Derek Carr, when he performs with play action, he has the sixth highest passer rating in that regard, greater than 110, going up against a Bucks defense that hasn't been very good. Sometimes they do bite a little too often in terms of play action, not to mention I always considered the Bucks in general to be really top heavy. Like if they do have a rash of injuries or something like that in a really physical game that we would be expecting – then I don't know if I trust their backups all that much. They may be a little less sustainable. And then as far as Baker Mayfield is concerned, he's played well under pressure. He's played well outside the pocket. But I wonder if this is sustainable. Maybe he is just due for a bad performance. And it probably would happen against the Saints in a divisional matchup. I do have the utmost respect for the Bucks. They can still win this division. But this does scream a kind of regression to the mean kind of game.
0: So, Ed, hey, kind of sticking in NFL Week 17, I wanted to ask you about Saturday night's game between the Lions and the Cowboys. I mean, Dallas is kind of on a losing skid right now, but they've been away from home. They've been so much better at home. Detroit just won the NFC North. They're come, kind of coming off that high. But they opened as five-and-a-half-point underdogs in Dallas. over so a Cowboys squad that's looking for a big win against an NFC team that's competing atop the top three uh, seeds in the NFC playoff picture.
2: And, Ed, you can pick the Cowboys. Uh, bear's not here today.
0: Oh, thank God. <laughs> no,
2: no, he, he would throw fit with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, so I t- want to make sure I'm invited
1: back. You know, yeah, I, th- right. That is a requirement here. Yeah. I, first off, Cowboys are at home. Take the over team total. I think I yep. saw 29 and a half at last check. D- take the over there. Don't even think about it. They're going to score a ton of points against this Lions defense. That's fine. As far as the spread is concerned, I'm probably backing the Lions plus five and a half. There was a super contest that headed out at plus six. Really liked it there, but I think at five and a half is still good just because I think this is going to look more like that Cowboys Seahawks Thursday night game from a few weeks ago where that was super high scoring and DK Metcalf found just the right matchup against Deron Bland and they were able to keep up in that contest. I think we're going to see something a little bit closer to that where the Cowboys do win outright, but it is say a team with the ball wins kind of situation. I mean, look, the Lions will have no answer for CeeDee Lamb whatsoever. I love his props in this one. Even all receiving yards would be good. But I also like Amon Ross St. Brown, and some of the other guys are going to be running crossing routes for the Lions as well. I don't think this Cowboys defense showed me very much over the last several weeks for me to believe that they can guard the intermediate part of the field, the middle part of the field, to where I think with crossing routes, Jared Goff and company can keep up with them.
0: My last one here for you, Ed, is Miami at Baltimore. Baltimore coming off a huge Mm -hmm. win, dominant win, obviously against San Francisco. And, I mean, Miami coming off probably their biggest win of the year as well against Dallas. Two teams that are kind of riding high, a lot of implications for the one seed in the AFC in this game. And then if the Dolphins lose this one, Ed, it could really come down to Week 18 about that Buffalo Bills versus Miami game uh, for Mm -hmm. who wins the AFC East. So I want to get your quick thoughts on this one.
1: I do think that Miami can cover here. I think they can keep this thing relatively close, in part because, yes, Miami's dealing with a rash of injuries, no doubt about it. It looks like Jalen Waddell may be the the biggest victim in all of this as far as not being able to be out there. Um, And that is a concern for me because I don't think it can be all about Tyreek Hill, as much respect as I have for him. I think they do need to go to other guys to at least remain dynamic because I think this Ravens defense is more than serviceable enough to contain one hot shot receiver, you know, bracket him, double team, maybe even triple team, whatever it is. But I think it's that outside zone rushing attack. I think that's how the Dolphins keep up in this game because the, the Ravens can't play too far back. You do have some really dynamic, dynamic running backs who can run to the outside. I think that complementary football and the fact that Tua can get uh, throws out of his hand, out of the snap, Uh, within two and a half seconds. I think that's how Miami keeps this game close.
2: Ed, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Always appreciate it, buddy. I don't get to talk to you. Happy New Year. Still, you and the family.
1: Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you and yours as well.
2: All righty. That was Ed Egros, the host of BetQL Daily and Odyssey Sports Betting Insider. Insider calls are presented by BetMGM. Go check out all of the latest lines on the BetMGM app. When we return, it'll be triple option, but it'll only be two of us. So we'll be back with more here on the Big 870 WWL right after this break. We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike to take you along with Charlie Long. And it's time now for our WW our triple option well it's only two of us today so it's a it's a double Double option option. (laughs) where each of us give our top takes on the top stories in sports and it's brought to you by Lambert Zaney representing injured maritime workers for over 40 years
0: Charlie I'll hand it off to you you first I'm gonna circle back around to what we were talking about earlier on the hour Mike about specifically Jordan Hawkins and his kind of demotion so to speak I, I don't even really want to call it a demotion he's been assigned to the G League squadron uh, just to get him some minutes because, I, I mean, if you look at his game log, Mike, ever since the return of C.J. McCollum and Trey Murphy, and now obviously Jose Alvarado is back as well, he's just not getting minutes. Like, if you saw what he did in November, he had multiple games where he went over 25 points. He had a 31-point performance as well. He was getting minutes around 40 minutes a couple times. He was around the 30s. Uh, he was consistently seeing the floor for this Pelicans team as a rookie 14th overall pick out of UConn. And he was performing. But ever since the team got healthy, Willie Green has kind of made it clear that he values defensive intensity uh, in his players versus, you know, just general offensive efficiency from shooting from three-point range. And, I mean, if you look at it, Mike, he hasn't seen the floor since the team's win against Cleveland. It was a double-digit point win. It was a blowout victory for the Pals, and that's the only reason he saw the floor. Uh, before that, he played in a blowout win over San Antonio. That win over Charlotte, he only saw four minutes. Uh, the blowout win against Washington, he saw 19 uh, and the win against Minnesota a couple weeks ago, he saw one minute. So, I mean, his just minutes have decreased significantly uh, since what we saw in November. And I think ultimately it's a good thing that he's going to the squadron because at least he'll be on the floor. Uh, you just haven't seen it recently. You haven't seen it at all within the last week. But throughout December, with the, when the team has gotten healthy and gotten Trey back, gotten Jose back, uh, gotten CJ back, you haven't seen Jordan Hawkins at all. And, I mean, I want to see him on the floor. I want to see him producing because I think he has a very high ceiling as a shooter for this Pelican squad. And I think it was a great draft pick by David Griffin in the front office. But if he's not playing, just go get him in the the squadron and get him some time there.
2: You know, we've talked so much about Saints Tampa Bay and about Baker Mayfield and the season he's had. Mike Evans, again, just – He's in the final year of his contract, but he's just he's had an outstanding season also. Chris Godwin is a really good wideout in this league. One guy we haven't talked a lot about, Rashad White from Arizona State, the running back. And if you look at most yards from scrimmage this season, number one in that category, it's Christian McCaffrey, no surprise there what 1932 uh, yards total. Tyreek Hill is number two with sixteen fifty six. CeeDee Lamb, a uh, wide receiver from the Cowboys, fifteen twenty-five. James Cook, the running back with the Bills, has fourteen seventy one. We just saw him last Thursday. Puka Nakua, thirteen ninety seven. AJ Brown, the whiteout with the Eagles, thirteen ninety-four. And who sits next? Rashad White with thirteen hundred eighty yards from scrimmage this year. Coming out of Arizona State, a lot of people didn't like his running style. Man, he's like a big, tall cowboy uh, sitting on top of that horse. He he gives you a lot of body uh, to hit. But, man, he is quick. He is fast to hit the hole. He can get outside, and he catches the football really well coming out of the backfield. So when you look at it, uh, seventh overall in the NFL in yards from scrimmage this season, Rashad White, Saints are going to see a lot of Rashad White this coming Sunday. I think he's
0: going to be a key player uh, when the Bucks play the Saints. Undoubtedly so, Mike. I mean, if you look at their four-game winning streak, his carries, like, he didn't have the yardage against Jacksonville, but he had the receptions He had the receptions. They stuffed him in the run game, so what Tampa Bay did is they used him in the passing attack. As you said, he's he can catch the ball very well. He's efficient on both sides of rushing and receiving. But in the last four games, this four-game winning streak for Tampa where they've gotten hot, 20 carries, 25 carries, 21 carries, 20 carries. He's the lead back in Tampa, and you're going to see a lot of him this weekend.
2: And if you saw last week, what they tried to do, Jacksonville, was rip him out of the playbook. Okay, if you're going to beat us, let Baker do it. Baker did it because they took away the running game. The Bucks didn't run the football very well against Jacksonville. They took that element away, but Baker was able to make it work, and Rashad was a big part of that, too, as a receiver uh, coming out of the backfield. That's a wrap-on triple option brought to you by Lambert Zaney, representing injured maritime workers for over 40 years. Join us every day in the 5 o'clock hour for our top takes on sports on the Sports Powerhouse, WWL. We'll be back to end up our number two here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Finishing up here on our number two of Sports Talk. Talk on the Big 870. Mike, to tell you along with Charlie Long. When we come back in the 6 o'clock hour, we'll be talking to Chris Dotson about the uh, New Orleans Pelicans and certainly a lot to talk about there and facing a team they have had absolutely zero luck going up against. They lost five straight and I think the Jazz all timer are 48-26 against the Pelicans. Wow. Also, we'll have... on. No, that's not good. Uh, The publisher of the Rebel Walk, Evelyn Van Pelt, will talk to us a little bit about Ole Miss playing Penn State. That would be a very intriguing football game. We'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870 right after this news break.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.